sprinkling popcorn on them, and he demanded that they pay for the popcorn. And by the time it was all over, the two older boys were in the hospital, and he was on his way to Camp Green Lake Juvenile Correctional Facility. The name Green Lake was a cruel joke. He spent 14 months in a dried-up lake bed, where he did nothing except dig holes. Later, when he applied for a job at Rain Creek, Jack Dunleavy warned him the job would require a fair bit of digging. Armpit just smiled and said, No sweat. After leaving Camp Greenlake, he first spent six months at a halfway house in San Antonio, where he attended school and received counseling. There were 16 boys at the halfway house. The counselor there told them that the recidivism rate for African-American boys was 73%. That meant, according to the statistics that 11 or 12 of them would be arrested again before they turned 18. The counselor said the rate was even higher if you didn't finish high school. If you think life was unfair before you went to prison, she told Armpit, it's going to be twice as bad when you go back. People are going to expect the worst from you and will treat you that way. She said his life would be like walking upstream in a rushing river. The secret was to take small steps and just keep moving forward. If he tried to take too big a step, the current would knock him off his feet and carry him back downstream. Upon returning to Austin, he set five goals for himself. Five small steps. One, graduate from high school. Two, get a job. Three, save his money. Four, avoid situations that might turn violent. And five, lose the name Armpit. He picked up his shovel and went back to his trench. Jack Dunleavy always brought a radio to the work site, and it was now playing a song by Kyra DeLeon. I'm gonna take you for a ride, and we're gonna have some fun. The mayor, who had started to walk away, came hurrying back. Oh, I love this song, she exclaimed. I'm gonna take you for a ride. Ooh, and we're gonna have some fun. Cherry Lane raised her arms in the air as she wiggled to the music. Armpit tried not to laugh. At least there was music. There had been no radios to listen to when he was digging holes at Camp Green Lake. I'm going to take you someplace you've never been before, and you'll never be the same again. Chapter 2 A rusted Honda Civic drove noisily down the street and parked across from the mayor's house. Armpit had finished digging his trench and was attaching PVC pipe. The mayor had gone back inside. The driver's side door had been bashed in, and it would have cost more to fix than the car was worth. The driver had to work his way over the stick shift and then exit on the passenger side. The personalized license plate read, X-Ray. Armpit! X-Ray shouted as he crossed the street. Armpit! The guys at work didn't know him by that name, but if he didn't say something, X-Ray would just keep on shouting. Better to answer and shut him up. Hey, he called back. Man, you're really sweating, X-Ray said as he came there. Yeah, well, you sweat too if you were digging. I've already dug enough dirt to last one lifetime, said X-Ray. They had met each other at Camp Green Lake. Look, don't call me Armpit around other people, all right? Armpit said. But that's your name, dog, 
You should never be ashamed of who you are. X-Ray had the kind of smile that kept you from hating him no matter how annoying he was. He was skinny and wore glasses, which were now covered with clip-on shades. He picked up armpit shovel. Different shape. Yeah, it's for digging trenches, not holes. X-Ray studied it a while. Seems like it would be harder to dig with. No leverage. He let it drop. So you must be making a ton of money. Armpit shrugged. I'm doing all right. A ton of money, X-Ray repeated. Armpit felt uncomfortable talking about money with X-Ray. So really, how much you got saved up so far? I don't know. Not that much. He knew exactly how much he had. Eight hundred and fifty-seven dollars. He hoped to break a thousand with his next paycheck. Gotta be at least a thousand, said X-Ray. You've been working for three months. Just part-time. Besides working, Armpit was also taking two classes in summer school. He had to make up for all the schooling he'd missed while at Green Lake. And they take out for taxes and stuff, so really I don't take home all that much. Eight hundred? I don't know. Maybe. The reason I'm asking, X-Ray said, the reason I'm asking is I got a business proposition for you. How would you like to double your money in less than two weeks? Armpit smiled as he shook his head. I don't think so. I just need $600, double your money, guaranteed, and I won't be taking out any taxes. Look, things are going all right for me right now, and I just want to keep it all cool. Don't you even want to hear me out? Not really. It's not against the law, X-Ray assured him. I checked. Yeah, you didn't think selling little bags of parsley for $50 an ounce was against the law either. Hey, it's not my fault what people think they're buying. How's that my fault? Am I supposed to be a mind reader? X-Ray had been sent to Camp Green Lake for selling bags of dried parsley and oregano to customers who thought they were buying marijuana. That was also why his family had to move from Lubbock to Austin shortly after he was released. Look, I just don't want to do anything that might screw things up, Armpit said. That's what you think? That I came here to screw things up? Man, I'm offering you an opportunity. An opportunity. If the Wright brothers came to you, you would have told them it's impossible to fly. The Wright brothers? asked Armpit. What century are you living in? I just don't get it said X-Ray. I don't get it. I offer my best friend an opportunity to double his money, and he won't even listen to my idea. All right, tell me your idea. Forget it. If you're not interested, I'll find somebody else. Tell me your idea. He actually was beginning to get just a little bit curious. What's the point? asked X-Ray. If you're not going to even listen. All right, I'm listening, said Armpit. X-Ray smiled. Just two words. He paused for effect. Kyra de Leon. It was 11.30 in Austin, but it was an hour later in Atlanta, where Kyra de Leon, a 17-year-old African-American girl, was just waking up. Her face pressed against a pillow, which was, in fact, a pillow. There wasn't much oomph left in the stuffing, and the edges were frayed. The picture of the bear with the balloon, which had once been brightly colored, had faded so much it was hardly visible. Kyra groggily climbed out of bed, 
She wore boxer shorts and was unbuttoning her pajama top as she made her way to what she thought was the bathroom. She opened the door, then shrieked. A thirty-year-old white guy sitting on a couch stared back at her. She clutched the two halves of her pajama top together and slammed the door. The door bounced back open. Doofus! Kyra shouted at the man, then closed the door again, making sure it latched this time. Can't a person have some privacy around here? She screamed, then made her way to the bathroom, which was on the opposite side of her bed. Over the last three and a half weeks, she'd been in nineteen different hotel suites, each with no fewer than three rooms and one with six. So really, it was no wonder she went through the wrong door. She didn't even remember what city she was in. She suspected that Polly, her psychiatrist, would tell her she had done that on purpose. Something about wanting to show her body to her bodyguard. Maybe she was better off not telling Polly about it. Everything she said in her therapy sessions was supposed to be confidential, but Kyra suspected that Polly, like a parrot, repeated everything to El Genius. She had no privacy, not in her hotel room, not even in her own thoughts. The problem was that, except for Polly, there wasn't anybody on tour she could talk to. Certainly not her mother, and not a doofus bodyguard. The guys in her band were all at least forty years old, and treated her like she was a snot-nosed little kid. The backup singers were in their late twenties, but they seemed to resent her being the center of attention. The only time she felt at peace was when she was singing. Then it was just her and the song, and everybody else just disappeared. Her concert tour would take her to a total of fifty-four cities, so she wasn't even half done yet. She was now on the southern swing. From Atlanta, they'd be going to Jacksonville, then Miami, Birmingham.